Thank you to Sideways 8 for sponsoring this podcast. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Today, it's estimated that at least 154,000 people in the U.S. have stage 4 or metastatic breast cancer. Although metastatic breast cancer currently cannot be cured, it is still treated with most therapies focusing on living a longer, healthier life with breast cancer. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Jamil Rivers, who was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer at age 39. She became an advocate to use her voice and experience to help advance legislative policy, medical research, and customized support to better meet the needs of individuals impacted by breast cancer, particularly metastatic and African-American patients. She also launched the Chrysalis Initiative, which provides mentoring to women with breast cancer and engages in outreach and education for African-American women to assess their breast cancer risk. Jamil, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, So can you just tell us a little bit more about your story? Uh, Well, my name is Jamil. I was diagnosed with um, metastatic breast cancer um, last year at the age of 39, a month before my 40th birthday. And it was a total shock because I had no symptoms or anything like that. It was uh, metastatic from the beginning. Uh, In the winter prior to, I had a cold that just didn't go away. Everyone else in the house had gotten their colds and coughs and mine just kept lingering. And so I went to my primary doctor, um, received an antibiotic. And um, by that point, it just, you know, had already spread to my bones, liver, chest wall, abdomen, spleen, I think bones, lungs. (laughs) So um, pretty much everywhere, all over the place. Because of that, you know, I had to start chemotherapy right away. So I did a year of um, chemotherapy. My husband is already a cancer survivor. I just thought, you know, we have three kids. What are we going to do? And so I just uh, continued to work and just wanted to see what would happen. Uh, My tumors have shrunk to microscopic size. um, So still working full time. And uh, my husband's doing well. And now I've switched over to uh, endocrine therapy, which is pill form. Okay. So so you said, just to recap, so you said, you got diagnosed. Your husband was already a cancer survivor. And, and I believe I read an article about you. And I think I remember reading in the article that uh, you were, were sort of alternating almost treatments, right? Where he was feeling bad. And then, you know, you would support everyone. And then he, you were feeling bad. And then he would support everyone. Is that sort of how it worked out? Well, actually, because of his, he has um, a, another condition prior to the cancer. So he was already disabled due to liver disease. Um, and that came on, we've been together for 15 years, but that came on four years into our relationship where in 2009, he had to get a liver transplant. And from that point, he's been disabled. Um, 2012, he was diagnosed with um, colon cancer. And um, he was treated for that. It was stage one colon cancer. So he had a colectomy and, you know, that was that. Um, So and he had pretty much six years of clear scans and just dealing with his um, primary condition, which was liver disease called primary sclerosing cholangitis. And um, and then in 2019, that's when I was diagnosed with um, metastatic de novo breast cancer. Um, and then I did my year of chemotherapy and a month after I finished chemotherapy, he was diagnosed with, um, kidney cancer. 
And so, wow. yeah, so <laughs> wow. it was just like, luckily it wasn't at the same time, but it was just crazy that, you know, we have all this cancer going on. Right. I mean, and, and while working and while caring for right. three young kids. Wow. That's exactly. Wow. So I kind of felt like even though I was under the weather, um, my brain just couldn't fathom us both being sick and having young children. But I just said, you know, I'm, even though I'm under the weather, I still have to steer the ship. So I have to keep working. I didn't really want to um, expose my family to maybe any insecurity or instability. And so I just made an executive decision to continue to work through chemotherapy. And, you know, so I think I'm a living testament of just keeping that normalcy. Um, To me, normalcy represents wellness. And so I had to research how to continue to live my same life so to speak. I mean, some adjustments, of course, because I'm living with a major illness, but how can I be close to normal as possible and not disrupt, you know, my family's day to day? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's really inspiring that you made that choice and, and that uh, that you seem to be thriving at it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, well, let's talk just a little bit about metastatic breast cancer. Uh, can you tell me what does it mean? Is it a, a type of breast cancer or is it a stage of breast cancer? Can you give me a little more information about that? Well, metastatic breast cancer is when it's it's advanced stage four breast cancer, meaning that it has your breast cancer has um, left from its original site in the body, which is typically the breast and is now spread to a distant organ. And now those cancer cells have spread to that particular organ. So a distant space in the body. I see. I see. Okay. And, you know, you, you mentioned the shock that it was to sort of get diagnosed the choice that you made to just keep moving forward, to continue to work, to continue sort of that normal life for you and your family. Can you can you talk just a little bit more about how you coped with the diagnosis? I mean, was it just the one foot in front of the other? Or was there a little bit more to it? Um, well, I felt like I had to get as much support around me as possible. And so I kind of did, I'm a research junkie already. I'm a data and evidence junkie. Um, and so I kind of just really overly prepared myself. I'm a very type A project manager type person. And so I thought, okay, I need to learn everything there is to know. I have to make sure that I have all the sufficient supports and really reinforce you know, my surroundings to have that support system in order to make sure that we kind of go in and move into this, you know, I, I don't want to say battle because I kind of feel like that's an overly used term, <laughs> but this new undertaking, so to speak. And so I knew that my whole life was going to change completely. And so I just reached out to all the cancer and breast cancer organizations in my immediate area and nationally just to see what support was out there because I, I had no clue of what I was coming up against. I had just saw, you know, the images maybe in movies and TV and maybe what I've seen from just my own outside experience of what chemotherapy um, consists of and what does that do. And because of those assumptions, most people told me, oh, you're not going to be able to work and you have to quit. And I mean, I had just started this new job. Um, So I had only been there for five months once I was diagnosed. And I'm sure they probably would have approved my leave. But at the same time, I wanted them to really see what I could do. Um, I knew that this was a growth path for me, which could be great for my career. So I didn't want to sacrifice all that because of something that could be, you know, I just wanted to see what would happen. I didn't want to have to go that route to 
file for disability or go on public assistance or maybe have to take a leave if that, you know, if it wasn't necessary. So I really just wanted to see what happens and go forward. And I literally just prepared that way. Just what am I going up against? Who is my opponent here? Um, and I'm that type of person where if I have a challenge, I just think about, okay, how am I going to execute on this? I have to research, do my homework and prepare. And so that's what I did. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned your research, you mentioned reaching out to uh, support agencies. Can you talk about a little bit about what's been the most helpful to kind of create a community of support around you? Um, I think that the biggest thing was having that immediate support, not just um, with organizations such as Coleman, but also other women that are either metastatic or have had some type of exposure or experience to what, you know, I'm going through so that you really don't have too many surprises. You're going to have surprises, but at least you're not going in walking completely blind. And so I knew that, of course, going into chemotherapy, I was going to lose my hair. Um, I'm going to lose my eyebrows. I'm going to lose my eyelashes. I'm going to be really, really tired. I could have some joy pain. My nails are going to be black. You know, I could have some um, mouth changes. So I was prepared and was ready to anticipate what all those things would look like and what kind of impact that would have on me and my day to day and how to preemptively prepare for that. So that way I could still continue to take care of my kids and go to work. Wow. That's really, I mean, it's really smart to, to know what you're up against and, and be able to mentally prepare your, it's mental toughness to prepare yourself right. for that. I really, <laughs> I really admire that. So what would you like others to know about metastatic breast cancer? Um, I would say that the biggest thing is that this is something that, you know, I'll be in treatment for the rest of my life. It's something that, you know, you have to keep moving forward with one day at a time. It never ends. <laughs> you never know what you're going to run into one day to the next. So also there needs to be more attention and focus to it. I kind of feel like you know, the same way that breast cancer was kind of like an isolation and taboo to talk about back in the 70s and 80s. And Coleman was the leader in order to kind of stop that. It has to be the same thing with metastatic breast cancer now. So stage four has to be in the forefront. We're not just Debbie Downers. We want to live a long time with this disease um, and live our best life, not just be technically alive, but doing all the things that we enjoy and spend time with the people we love, not be a burden on them. Um, people that are metastatic are not just on hospice waiting to die or on Medicare. Some of us are young, a good proportion of us are young. And so, you know, there has to be more research and more funding for metastatic breast cancer because currently right now only 5% of breast cancer research goes to metastatic breast cancer. And so there's a lot of us living with this day to day. We're not trying to go anywhere. So there has to be more attention and focus put on us. And we're the neediest of the bunch um, in comparison to the newly diagnosed as well. But, um, you know, once you're in that survivorship, you know, your um, uh, tangible support needs kind of you know, reduce a bit. But with us, this is like an ongoing marathon. So if we're really going to save lives, we have to be hyper focused on metastatic patients and really focusing on, okay, what are their needs? How are all of our initiatives or whatever we're doing as an organization, how are we supporting them and impacting them um, if we're really serious about saving lives? Because you don't die from breast cancer in the breast. You die once it leaves the breast and <laughs> becomes metastatic. That's true. That's true. So, so let's just talk as we're wrapping up here. What are, what are some sources of support that people living with breast cancer should look up? 
Uh, well, I mean, Susan G. Komen is a great um, support resource, I mean, nationally and on the local level. Um, I think um, being an advocate gives me a lot of great information, but their website is a great tool. Um, their uh, hotline is also a great tool. Um, you can reach out to the Komen office in your local area where you can have whatever barrier or challenge they really can assist you with. So if it's transportation to get to treatment, or maybe it could be nutritional assistance, or it could be um, just if you're having issues with um, your healthcare access, they can help you with giving you that reinforcement if you're at risk of losing your health insurance or something like that. Another great thing that they're able to provide is just access to clinical trials and being able to um, specifically wind down which clinical trials would be the best fit for you. Um, so those are like the most immediate um, support resources that are available. And I know that I'm on the metastatic advisory committee, so I'm really pushing for there to be more metastatic information and knowledge for it to be in the forefront, which I think Komen gets it. They're really trying to um, be a leader in this space and move forward with you know, making metastatic breast cancer disease on the forefront where, you know, folks are not isolated and in the shadows that are dealing with this, but it's on the forefront of our minds every day, the same way that general breast cancer and early stager um, breast cancer is. And um, I think it's just essential that we just constantly think about it all the time and also, you know, start thinking outside the box where we're also focusing on palliative care. So how, what type of integrative therapies can we um, also incorporate in our day-to-day -day so that we can sustain our treatments longer? Because, you know, if you can't stay on a treatment, they're going to shift you to something else. So you want to stay on a treatment for as long as possible that's working for you and be able to take the hits that come with staying on that particular treatment. So my treatment, for example, right now, and even the chemotherapy, I had a lot of joint pain um, a lot of, um, just, uh, you know, run the gamut. So <laughs> let's see a lot of joint pain, headaches, things like that. I had to think, I don't want to just constantly, um, overdose myself with medication on top of the drugs that I'm already on to treat my breast cancer. So I had to look up integrative therapies that could support that. So just that knowledge I thought was just, um, phenomenal in order to keep me in therapy. I mean, even the doctors at my cancer center said most people don't aren't able to stay on chemotherapy for a year. But because of those integrative therapies, I was really focused on staying in treatment for as long as I possibly could so that we could shrink those tumors. Right. Wow. Wow. That's that's really inspiring uh, and really wise. So la last question, what's a final piece of advice that you would give uh, to someone living with metastatic breast cancer or possibly to the loved ones of that person? I would say, well, for the metastatic patient themselves, be gracious with yourself. This is a long marathon that you're on the verge of going, you know, that you're faced with, that you're going to have to sustain your energy and your fortitude in order to deal with. So be gracious with yourself for one. And I mean, overdose from the support. Even if you don't think you need help with something, seek it out. Let people help you. Just even if you don't think that you need it, I know that we're pretty independent and some of us are like, oh, I don't need that type of help. But I say overdose on the support so that even if you don't need it, by the time you do need it, it's like it's just above and beyond. So take all the support that's possible because there are a ton of resource resources available to you, in particular with um Komen and learn about your specific subtype of breast cancer and what the innovations and technology that's out there right now 
Um, also be active and know about policy in your particular state and the county and on the federal level, um, pre-existing conditions, cancer caps, all those protections within the Affordable Care Act are on the brink now of being eliminated. And of course, that can be very detrimental to our lives and our quality of life. Um, so we have to be very vocal and say, we're not going to stand for that. We pay our taxes. We pay our premiums. You know, our societal contract is that we need to have health care and not just health care who can afford it, but health care that's quality, that's going to sustain our lives for the long haul. So definitely be involved. Know about your subtype of breast cancer. Take it as much support as possible. Um, and also there is no dumb question, you know, be um, just mindful about what type of treatments are out there. Be open to also be involved with clinical trials because clinical trials will definitely scrutinize you and test you out the wazoo to know if there is anything that they need to actually deal with. And when you're metastatic, um, screening and testing is, you know, an annoyance, but it's also could be that early detector of writing the ship, say, if something goes awry. So I think those are the biggest things you know, as far as being metastatic, if you're a caregiver or a family member, just be there, be present, be there to just accept the venting sometimes and the meltdowns, be there just to help out with the task or run an errand or something like that. Give them a neck rub or a shoulder rub or something like that. You know, there's so many different ways that you can kind of be present. But I think if you just connect with that person and specifically think about what their needs are, just be there and um, be supportive. Right. Wow. That's great. That's great. Um, well, Jamil, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Your story is really inspiring and, and I really appreciate the, the wisdom uh, that you shared with us here. And for our listeners to learn more about patient services, financial aid, or other services supported by Susan G. Komen within your community, visit Komen.org or connect with your local Susan G. Komen affiliate. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com. Thank you to Sideways 8 for sponsoring this podcast. We all want to break through the noise on the internet and stand out. Sideways 8 is a digital agency on a mission to improve communication through marketing. Whether they're working with tech companies or national nonprofits, Sideways 8 helps you showcase your value while making it easy for people to find you. Sideways 8 services include website design and development, website care plans, digital marketing strategy, branding and messaging, SEO, pay-per-click advertising, and more. To learn more about highlighting the work your organization is doing, head to sideways8.com slash Komen. That's S-I-D-E-W-A-Y-S, the number 8, dot com slash Komen.